Okay, everybody, welcome to the final episode of the super erogatory uh, for Riddles in the Dark. Um, we Today we are going to review uh, the last uh, four episodes of Riddles in the Dark. Actually, the, there's a there's a fifth episode that hasn't been recorded yet. So we'll be at the end. We'll be doing a conundrum, conundrum, for that episode. But in the meantime, we're going to be uh, reviewing the riddles from the last four episodes and also some of your comments. I, we we can't fit everything in, but we're going to uh, be covering some of your comments. And uh, to start us off. Uh, I should probably tell tell you her, who you're listening to. This is Laura Burkholz, and I'm here with Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor. And Corey's going to start us off by talking a little bit about um, his MythCon experience. That's right. Yes. Good morning. Some of you, um, I, uh, I I just returned from MythCon, the annual conference of the Mythbeak Society, um, which uh, which was a lot of fun. It was uh, you know there are a lot of really great paper presentations. It was uh, it's it's always Tolkien conferences in general are really neat because you know sort of Tolkien. Well, I shouldn't call the Mythopoeic Society merely a Tolkien conference. Um, the Mythopoeic Society focuses on <clears throat> uh, generally on fantasy and science fiction, though with a heavy Tolkien bias. Um, and they they really sort of specialize in inkling studies. So there was uh, a good deal of discussion of C.S. Lewis and. Uh, uh, some Charles Williams as well, and a very little bit of Owen Barfield, um, who never gets equal billing with the other Inklings. But, um, uh, but anyway, it, you know, it's it's always fun. You know, you get to uh, uh, to meet with some wonderful Tolkien scholars in, um, you know, in a, in a in a sort of small environment. Um, I got to hang out with a bunch of Mythgard students, a couple of whom I'd never met before in person. So that was a lot of fun, um, and. Um, so I, I I I really enjoyed the weekend. It was kind of crazy. Um, I it was located in Massachusetts, not far from my home. So I actually commuted rather than staying in the dorms uh, down there at Wheaton College uh, in Massachusetts, where it was being hosted this year. I uh, I just drove down from my house in extreme southern New Hampshire, um, <clears throat> which was nice, although it meant my getting home pretty late each night, so <laughs> I'm still a little bit frazzled uh, from uh, being gone the weekend, but um, that's all right. That's all right. We actually did record a, uh, a MythCon episode, a live from MythCon episode, which hasn't been posted yet to the podcast feed, um, but uh, that should, uh, we should be able to process that uh, relatively soon, um, and uh, that one was a lot of fun, because we were able to bring in a bunch of the scholars that were there, we chatted, I chatted with uh, with Christine Larson, and uh, Carl Hostetter, and uh, Richard West, who was the guest of honor, uh, the scholar guest of honor uh, at MythCon this year, so um, that, that was, and we, you know, we uh, we did with uh, several of uh, of my uh, MythCard students and other attendees. We were just kind of uh, discussing and reviewing uh, many of the the panels and things that we'd heard. Um, so anyway, that was uh, and I I had a really good MythCon because my I had my mind genuinely blown. Like my my entire way of looking at one of my mm-hmm. favorite books was completely altered uh, at this MythCon. So it was pretty cool. With the work in question being C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, actually, because I learned about <clears throat> an unpublished chunk, about 
about uh, half of the preface of the screw tape letters, which uh, he cut out uh, of the preface before it was published. And oh. what was in that oh, really? published preface was to me utterly mind blowing. Um, I'd just throw it out there. Uh, uh, I know not everyone is going to be interested in this, but for those of you who are, uh, you will have read C.S. Lewis's Time uh, uh, Trilogy, uh, or Space Trilogy, I mean, um, and uh, uh, you know, be familiar with the character uh, of, of Ransom. The paragraph that he cut out of the preface included the explanation for how he, <clears throat> Lewis, got his hands on the screw tape letters, like how he got the letters from screw tape. And he got them, he, they were originally written in Old Solar, and Ransom translated them for him. Um, so that is... To, oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? So in Lewis's initial mm. conception, yes, the screw is. tape letters were part of the Space Trilogy world. And I was just like, I'm still, wow. my mind is still blown by that. Thinking about the screw tape letters in the context of, you know, Bent Eldila and, uh, and, 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 you know, Ransom in the, cause he wrote it right before he wrote Paralandra. And I kind of knew that, but I, but the idea that he actually was connecting those in that way has just yeah. really prompted me to look at, uh, to look at screw tape in a completely different way. So anyway, that was really cool. I was, I was, that was and then, my favorite bit. And, and also, uh, screw tape letters is dedicated to J.R. Tolkien. Isn't exactly, it? and especially so the combination of the fact that um, and, and, and it, it, it led me to understand that dedication in a completely new way yes. because of course Elwyn Ransom is like yes. this pseudo portrait Ransom... of Tolkien, <laughs> right? So he not only yes. in the in the initial draft he not only dedicated the screw tape letters to Tolkien, but he also like basically you know sort of gave like fictional crypto credit to Tolkien for translating the, the letters for you know you know it's it was like sort of tantamount to like you know uh, 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 sort of joking that Lewis, that Tolkien co-authored them with him I mean it's not that he's actually was actually claiming that yeah. but again like within the fictional frame um and it uh, led me to wonder I was talking with uh, with Serena Higgins about this um at the conference and you know she and I were both sort of speculating it's you know we don't have any evidence you know any we don't know any reason why he cut that out exactly um but we're kind of guessing that uh i per wonder perhaps tolkien just said to him like would you please tolkien leave me the heck out of this <laughs> yes yes because tolkien did not approve of the screw tape letters no no exactly to see how thoroughly that. he was like dragging yeah. tolkien in to the framework of the screw tape letters at yeah. the beginning it was even funnier yeah. i mean i always found the dedication to tolkien think... funny because of that but yes because tolkien didn't approve of a layman sort of taking on these theological topics Right is is my understanding of his attitude towards that. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was it was it was fascinating. Um, I was and uh, who presented that paper on that? Um, I see, I, I, I'm trying to remember his last name. Brenton was his first name. He's a a, a graduate student uh, from uh, Canada, and he is one of the contributors to. Mm -hmm. um, uh, to Serena Higgins's uh, 
Inklings in King Arthur book. Oh, her Inklings volume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and I, he's right. he's he's doing a he's doing a thing on Arthur, uh, in Lewis and Arthur, and I am trying to. I've completely blanked on his last name. This is what happens oh. when you, like, don't. Sleep well, we can much over we can weekend, stick it in but... the notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, he has um, um, he has a a, a, a blog too which I would like to plug. Um, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I found it. Yes, okay. His blog is oh, called apilgrimimnarnia.com. Um, so if you if you go, uh, that you can find more information on, uh, that you can, you know, f- find his whole argument there on his blog, A Pilgrim in Narnia. Uh, and uh, his, uh, his, his name is, uh, his last name is Dickinson. Brenton. Brenton Dickinson. Hmm. All right, great. His blog. Yeah, is great, I've so. gone to a couple of MythCons, MythCons myself, and uh, had just a great time, and was really impressed at the quality of the papers that were given. Mm-hmm. You know, on on all sorts of topics. I mean, there, there's there's Tolkien. There's a lot on the Inklings. There's stuff on modern fantasy. It's a uh, it's a great conference and it's a lot of fun too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was fun. That was fun. I, 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 I had yeah, a good weekend. Yeah. Still kind of tired, but I had a good weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and let's talk about, it was funny. I just, uh, I, I, you know, just tweeted before we started the announcement of this episode and a couple of the people who went to MythCon with me just wrote me and are like, you're doing an episode already this morning? You're completely insane. Um, <laughs> but, oh yeah, Robert Brown says uh, opposite to my other conference interest, uh, I'm, uh, he's playing Lotro at the moment. And I have to say, oh. and Laurie, I wanted to tell you about this too. The, the Turbine guys came and presented at MythCon also this year. Oh, they did. Yeah, oh. like the creative leads now and I really artistic wish leads were there. And yeah. I have to tell you, I've yeah. I've had respect for Lotro for years, but actually hearing the guys who have been writing and you know basically doing the sub creating for uh for for um um for Lotro for, you know for all these years, mm-hmm. um you know I was listening to Chris Pearson who you know the one who describes himself as the chief lore monkey of uh, <laughs> Lord of the Rings Online, um and I was I you know I'd had respect for them before and I, I went from. I have respect for Lotro too. I am deeply impressed by Lotro. Um, so I, I think the time, the time is coming when I'm going to have to break down, I think. Ah, yes. My yes. resistance. Well, I am, yeah. un, unlike in a lot of other times I'm recording podcasts, I'm not playing Lotro <laughs> at the moment. But I do play, I'm on the Landerville server in the Lonely Mountain Band kinship if anybody ever wants to, to join. So yeah, the amount of, the amount of lore knowledge in Lotro is is just amazing. I mean, they they can't really bring in stuff in the Silmarillion, but they they definitely will bring in things that sort of you know make you realize they know about that. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff in, from the appendices. It's it's really yeah. it's really amazing. It's much. It's believe it or not, it's much more lore. Um, it, it sticks much closer to the lore than the movies do. 
Mm. Oh far. yeah. Yeah. No, no, I was, it was, it was, so. it was very impressive. I mean, listening to, listening to Chris mm -hmm. talk, I mean, I was, I was, um, I was extremely impressed. I mean, you know, that guy knows the books as well as anybody I know. I mean, I, including myself, I, he, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know Tolkien's works better than he does. Um, you know, I mean, like I might have some different ideas from him about some things maybe, but, uh, but you know, the, the, the care that he takes and the detail, you know, the, the, the amount of, of work that they put into this, um, you know, the, the level of detail he, uh, they showed a, a slide of one of his, uh, spreadsheets, you know, where he had done, like all of the action of the Battle of Helm's Deep, as it's depicted in the book, minute by minute, correlating all of the action in the different oh, wow. stages of the battle with like the atmospheric conditions that are described and everything, so that when they did yeah. the Battle of Helm's Deep in the game, they could have it flow like so, you know, so that like the atmospheric conditions are exactly what Tolkien described them. You know, when like Legolas kills or mm -hmm. Orc Number Twenty, you know, for instance. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's really yeah. impressive. I mean, I, you know, whatever else, you know, I'm not saying like everybody has to like Lotro, but you know, you cannot say that they are not, you know, uh, reading Tolkien's works very carefully and taking them very seriously. And the thought that they've put into, you know, they're very careful not to include, you know, cause they only have license to include stuff that is in printed and included in the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. They can't touch any of the other publications, which means not only the Silmarillion, but also unfinished tales. Um, yes. but they're very thoughtful about how to, you know, sort of include some of the themes and concepts of those other works without, you know, without transgressing the actual, you know, in, in, into the, that actual text. Yes. It's, it's, I, I yeah. was, I was, I was deeply impressed. Um, and in yes, fact, Laura, well, you, and, I, I should, I should, I should uh, tell I'll you. I'll have to, uh, go ahead. Um, yeah, we'll have to get you into the game sometime, Corey, but, but what they've done with Helm's Deep is you go through that battle stage by stage mm -hmm. as an active participant in it and it is really it's 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 just amazing what um you know how how closely they've they've kept to the story while still having it be a game you know i mean you still are killing orcs and you know you've got your bow and all this other stuff but but you really do feel like you're in the middle of the action yeah, uh, Kim Wehrmeister says, I take forever to level in Lotro because I spend so much time exploring areas and appreciating the in-game nods to the lore. Yeah, I, I, I kind of suspect that, you know, when I play Lotro, Kim, it, I, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to take a long time. <laughs> because not only that, but I'm going to want to, like, lecture my way through it. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, Laura, I should tell you, I was already, I, I, I sort of suggested spontaneously uh on twitter i was kind of i was i was live tweeting the the you know a bunch of the panels that i was attending uh at at mythcon this weekend and i mm -hmm. sort of spontaneously mentioned on, on twitter during the lotro session that i was like hey you know i'm starting to think that when riddles in the dark is done you know next year maybe i should start a lotro series on the podcast uh, and, uh, oh, yeah, that and, would be great. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm, you know, as, as yeah. I've, I, you know, as I said, I, 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 I tweeted that kind of off the cuff, but I've been, uh, um, I've been thinking more about it. Um, and, uh, I'm, 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 yeah, that would be great. And, yeah. And, and just to give a little plug for Mythmoot, 
we're going to be doing a LOTRO session at Mythmoot uh, coming up this year in uh, right after the new year. That's so, right. That's right. Yes. Um, John and, and... Bartolo and I are hoping to do um, another a LOTRO session where we actually have got, you know, the computers there and we're, uh, you know, we're introducing people to the game and some of the game mechanics. Yes, and indeed, so, I am. Yeah, uh, that would be great. I've been talking since these sessions. Chris and I have been talking about possibly even expanding uh, the Lotro sessions of uh, at at Mythmoot. So yeah, no, that's not, it's definitely something uh, that I am very interested. Um, but uh, uh, but but All we'll right. see. We'll see. Well, I could, I, yeah, I should. I could talk about Lotro for a while so maybe we should get back to the yeah in the yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly okay yes we do have so this is as laura said the final episode of riddles in the dark supererogatory because we are coming up to the end of the riddle game for the year so we have um <clears throat> two more episodes well we have one more riddle episode to do uh in the in the main ep in the main episodes and then we have we're going to do our review episode at the very end of August. And um, <clears throat> we'll be closing the voting, so you will have to submit your official, final, irrevocable riddle-guessing uh, you know, set of riddle answers uh, by somewhere around September 5th, I think, is what we're going to be uh, 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 shooting for. So... Um, uh, so, you know, we'll be posting the form, you know, it'll, it'll be an online voting form that you'll be able to, you know, where, where you'll be able to submit all your, your answers and your votes and stuff. Um, and that will be up after next week's, or not next week's, wait, yes, it's Monday. Next, so next week, our next episode, our final riddle episode will be on August 22nd. And the, um, um, the, the. Uh, the voting, the official voting will start from there and will last for, for, for a few weeks. Um, so we're coming up to the end. So this is our final supererogatory. We're going to be, you know, it, you know, talking about people's comments. We're going to be looking forward a little bit. So this is be the first time on supererogatory that we're anticipating the main, the main episodes um, and looking ahead uh, towards, uh, towards our final, our final topic a little bit uh, in our, in our conundra. So yeah, so I thought we'd start by just reviewing uh, the last uh, few riddles that uh, haven't been gone over yet in the supererogatory. Um, so, <clears throat> and basically, I'm just going to go through the riddles real quickly and give my answer. We're not going to talk about them too much because we've got the review episode coming up. So, we don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to cut into the time that. Would, that uh, we're going to spend in the review episode going over the riddles. Right. Okay. So the first riddle, uh, episode 3.11, I believe, uh, how does the battle between the goblins and the three allied peoples, the men, elves, and dwarves, begin? Um, and the answers are the allies are about to fight or are fighting when Gandalf stops them, warning that goblins have arrived, which is the book answer. Right. The allies are about to fight or are fighting and are stopped by someone other than Gandalf. The allies are about to fight, but they hear or see the arriving orc army before they start. The allies start fighting and the orcs attack in the middle of their fight. There is never an in imminent threat of battle between the three future allies. 
So my answer for this is the book answer, A. Um, part of the reason for that is because I always prefer the book answer to any other answer <laughs> when, when in doubt. Um, and I think I think that would be quite dramatic too, if you know if Gandalf is the one that gets up and and shouts out to everybody that the goblins the goblins are coming. You know I think that would be a very dramatic scene. So, and Corey, I know you, I know you said D. I did say so D. So you think yeah. they're actually. They're actually going to. S now, the only difference I could see between A and D is that Gandalf is the one who stops them. Right, exactly. Is there more of a difference? Yeah. No, the primary difference so. is simple. they're fighting, and then, you know, the orcs just start uh, start uh, attacking in the just middle. Just start of the attacking. Fight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Gandalf. I, think, like I would, the, I would the, love that. Like, initial shots are fired in the book right before Gandalf jumps up and, and stops them in their tracks. Um, but um, in, you know, so and so that, that's basically A, you know, they're like charging even they're they're even charging towards each other. But then in the end, uh, you know, they don't actually end up fighting. Um, so I, I think that they are going to fight. It is my opinion, therefore, that, uh, you know, that shot in the trailer of, uh, you know, the dwarves charging in on their war sheep. Yes. Right. On their war rams. Yes, yeah. exactly. That, that, that it's the elves that they're charging towards. That is, that is, ah, okay. That, that is my, that is my reading of that, that they're not charging towards orcs, but okay. towards elves. Um, and, uh, but then okay. the orcs are going to come in and so the, the, it's, it's going to be like the leader, the leaders of the armies rallying, you know, their people in different yes. directions and against and, the common enemy against yeah. the common enemy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just like the idea of the dramatic, um, the, the drama of Gandalf actually being the one to do it. So yeah, and you know with, the 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 pyrotechnics it. that could be you know involved, um, you know that because uh, clearly it, you know Gandalf just sort of jumps up and shouts in the book, you know, um, and it's clearly clearly mm -hmm. wouldn't happen that way, you know, he'd have to make some kind of pretty impressive show to get everybody's attention and stop a charging army in their tracks um, on screen, so. I can, I, I will say, I can certainly see the temptation to do that, you know, to see Gandalf, mm -hmm. Gandalf the Grey uncloaked, you know, as he, uh, as he stops the armies in their tracks, that I could easily, uh, that I could kind of see. I, I still don't expect it, but, 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 but I yeah. could kind of see that. Yeah. It would, it would be, it would just be fun, I think. So. Yeah, Kyle asks about okay, uh, the trailer. Yeah. Kyle asks, you know, doesn't the doesn't the trailer recommend A by showing Gandalf standing in front of an army? No, I don't think so because I mean it's it's clearly during the siege stage. It's which means I expect that that's before the the that's while they're parleying with with Thorin and therefore before the you know Dan and the dwarves arrive. Um, so I, I actually that scene I don't think that does not uh, really at all sway me one way or the other as far as this particular question is concerned. Yeah. Sorry, you, you, were, you, were, you were wanting to efficiently move on to the next one, which is a good idea. Yes, I'm... <laughs> 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 uh, 
But uh, you know, I do have to. I do have to say one other Lotro thing is that um, the dwarves ride on goats in Lotro. Yeah. That look a lot like those goats they're riding on in the trailer. So I thought that was an in- interesting little coincidence. But <laughs> anyway, yeah. Let's move on to the next one. Um, and and I want to move on to this because um, I I just think it's interesting how the answers fall in this one. Uh, which airborne dwarves will live and which will die in the Battle of the Five Armies? Thorin, Feely, and Keeley is the book answer. Uh, Thorin, Feely, Keeley die and one or more other dwarves die. Thorin dies, Feely and or Keeley live and all other dwarves live. Thorin lives, other dwarves may or may not die or none of the above. And all of you said C. Thorin dies, Feely and or Keeley live, and all the other dwarves live. But I am going to go with the book answer, because I think both Feely and Keeley are, are going to die. Okay. okay. So, um, now, and, and the reason I'm saying that is because that would be such a departure from, from the book. I mean, not that, not that, uh. Peter Jackson isn't afraid to depart from the book somewhat, but um, <clears throat> if uh, if Feely or Keeley live, they would be the ruler. They yep. would be the king under the mountain instead of dying. Yep. Yep. And, and yeah, yeah. And I I just think that's that's too much of a departure from the book, and I don't think he's going to do that. Yeah, I, I I if you know. The the whole premise of my argument is that I do think that Feely's going to live and become king under the mountain, um, mm-hmm. and I I I believe that what you know Peter Jackson would feel like he would accomplish in you know the satisfaction of the plot arcs of the films and um, you know sort of the satisfying ending of the story would be worth making that change. But yeah. you're absolutely right to say that it's a major change, and although. It's very easy to say in a in, in a flippant fashion, well, Peter Jackson's changing the stories all over the place. So why would it I I, I think that the the that kind of change is much more rare than people give credit for. I mean people yeah, I do too. People still overlook the fact that you know, the majority of the changes that people are that people are always upset about are simply the fact that he is doing that thought experiment of looking at the Hobbit from the Lord of the Rings point of view. Um, The number of things that he has actually just, you know, a character is described as doing or accomplishing something in the book and like that action is given to something else or the the story goes in a completely different way. That doesn't happen all that often in the films. It's, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that have been added but there are very few mm-hmm. things that have been, you know, com- I mean, I get many fewer than people expect. We could come up with some examples. Um, but you're right. That kind of massive change to the story, um, it, uh, it has not been very, it has not been a feature of the Hobbit films, despite no. their reputation. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, he's, he's added some things like Azog. Yeah. Uh, but but Azog is is not a main character in any of the books, you know. Where I think that think that having Feely rule instead of Diane, that would be that would be to me that's a, a bigger change. 
Right. So, right. Yeah. Nor has it nor did it change the plot. I mean, if you no. if you if you think about Bilbo and the dwarves um, and you just like make a plot summary of what has happened in this film, it's the same as the book. Right. I mean, am I overlooking examples? Right. The, they, they, they have the unexpected party at Bag End. They set out, uh, they meet the trolls and, you know, uh, the, the trolls which capture them and they are turned into and the, the trolls are turned into stone when Gandalf comes back at the last minute uh, and intercedes. Then they from there, they go to Rivendell where they counsel, you know, they, they, they get counsel and advice from Elrond, after which they set off. Uh, cross the Misty Mountains, end up going inside the Misty Mountains unexpectedly, uh, and are captured by the dwarves and rescued by Gandalf. And they, um, and then Gandalf kills the great goblin. Bilbo is separated, meets Gollum, finds the ring, has the riddle game, escapes Gollum, and meets up with them practically miraculously on the other skirt, on the other uh, uh, side of the mountains. Mm-hmm. They are pursued by goblins and wargs and uh, uh, escape from burning trees by being carried off by the eagles. They end up at Bjorn's house where they are given assistance to the borders of Mirkwood. They travel through Mirkwood, which is long and difficult and perilous after parting from Gandalf, and they get captured by the elves and they are set free by Bilbo who bails them out in barrels and they ride down the barrels to Lake Town mm-hmm. where I mean it's, the, it's nothing that's exactly the same it's exactly the plot of the book they have not departed from the plot of the book in any way now again I, I, all of you guys as I'm describing those things you know are able to think of lots of like wait but that was different but they also did this but they yeah but the plot is the same right they haven't altered any of the fundamental plot events not a single fundamental plot event um, of the book to this point in that sense, not in that sense of, of, uh, of, of, um, of changing um, the, the, you know, of, 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 of just like, you know, changing any of those huge events. Um, so, you know, so yeah, so that's, I mean, that's to me a pretty good argument. Yeah. So that's uh that's one reason why I tend to pick the book answer, unless I can find a, a good reason to change it, is because I think, you know, I mean, obviously he has a great respect for the books. I think more so, as as much grief as people give him, yeah. he has a lot more respect for the books than most directors who adapt books. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah, that yeah. I think is unquestionable, and yeah. certainly more than people give them credit for. Um, and, oh, and again, I've been saying this from the beginning. I find this to be so much more true of the Hobbit films than the Lord of the Rings. You know, the Hobbit films are throughout engaging with the books on a completely different level uh, from the Lord of the Rings. You know, they they left, they completely abandoned the Lord of the Rings sort of themes and concepts um, at at several points in the Lord of the Rings films. Yes. Um, and you know, and, and basically the the assessment that I had at the end of the first movie still sort of remains the same. You know, I mean, like if I have to give like a one sentence reaction, you know, I'll generally say, um, you know, the Lord of the Rings films were better movies than the Hobbit movies, but the Hobbit movies are treat, treat the texts much more carefully and much more interestingly. Um, I, I, yeah. I still think that's ha- really true. I have to say, I actually am enjoying the Hobbit movies more than I enjoyed the Lord of the Rings movies. Well, I certainly and, and am maybe, for that reason. Yeah, yeah. 
maybe for that reason because I have a harder had a harder time letting go had a hard time letting go of, of some of the themes that I loved in the Lord of the Rings books that really were not part of the movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Yep, yep. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one. Um, where will the deathbed conversion between Bilbo and Thorin Conversation. Occur? Sorry. Thorin may or conversion. may not have a deathbed I'm, conversion. But... Conversion. My, my, uh, <laughs> my Catholicism is coming out here, I guess. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> okay. Um, a in a tent in Dale. Book answer. B on the battlefield. C in the mountain. D it doesn't take place. E none of the above. And for once, I agreed with you, Corey. Wow, that almost never happens. That almost never happens. I know. Um, and the reason I, I think it's going to take place in Erebor is because I think it would be much more dramatic mm -hmm. for Thorin to die surrounded by all this gold that he, you know, that he was made his, his life's dedication to get. And just, just the, um, okay, irony, I don't think is the right word, but the... <laughs> But right. just the juxtaposition of all this gold and him dying and, you know, finally him realizing that gold is not, um, and I'm trying to think of his exact sentence as he dies, you know, that he would trade the gold for, for uh, I'm sure you know the exact, what he says exactly, Corey. Yes. What did he say about good cheer? And yes. Uh, if, if people yeah. would value good cheer. Right. If more people valued uh, uh, good food, food and cheer and song, above gold. You know, and good cheer above hoarded gold, it would be a merry Yes. World. So I think that would make that line um, much, have a lot more emphasis if that took oh, place. Oh, yeah, I like board. that. I like that. To see him, on the one hand, being returned to the mountain and surrounding and being surrounded by his treasure you could even see like, you know, his companions saying like he would want to be in the mountain, right? You know, Balin saying, yes. let's bring him into the mountain and then yes. have him look around at this and say, actually, this stuff isn't really what matters. Um, I like that. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. I, I was thinking chiefly of sort of the symbolism of his being, um, the symbolism of his being, uh, uh, you know, dying in the mountain, like, you know, dying as king under the mountain. Um, uh, but, uh, but I like that. I like that a lot, actually. That's good. See, so even when we agree, your, like, reason for voting, uh, with me was better than mine, so that was good. <laughs> well, plus, since I'm not on the regular Riddles in the Dark episodes, I don't, not, I'm not part of the, the synergy of everybody voting for the same thing, having the same <laughs> reasons. Right. So right. coming at it from a little different place. Right. So, okay. And then uh, the last riddle, uh, what, or actually it's the penultimate riddle, I believe, because there's one more to go. Yes, there's more, one more to come. What is the attitude about the future in the Erebor region after the battle? Um, a, they think that peace is here to stay, which is the book answer. B, everyone believes it is the beginning of times of war and they need to prepare. 
C, they recognize the possibility of war but are not making active preparations. D, there is a strong division of opinion. And E, none of the above. Um, and in this one, oh, we also agree about that. Look at that. About this one. How about that? Yeah. You know, and I had a hard time deciding on this one what it was going to be. Um, I didn't pick the book answer because I think, because the, the book answer is based, the, the book at the time was a standalone book with no Lord of the Rings. You know, in, this, in these movies, they've got to tie it in with the Lord of the Rings, you know, like right. you said. So I think there's got to be some foreshadowing of the war that's to come. And also, um, there's so much more of an orc presence um, in, the, in the Hobbit movies than, than there was in the book. That, um, you know, and there's more feeling of menace that's not just coming from Smaug. Um, that I think there's going to be more of a feeling of, yeah, you know, that we've won the battle, but we haven't won the war. Right. So, yeah. But how much it's going to be, I don't know. I was kind of torn between B and C a little bit. Um, between the two of them, but but I think just just to foreshadow the next movie, it's just a tie-in between um, you know, are we are we calling it episode three and episode four, like the Star Wars ones? Right, right. right. <laughs> I think they're going to have to be preparing or at least thinking about the future. Right, right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I you know. I could see them playing it other ways. You know, it's not that I think that that's inescapable. You know, we could certainly have... Because there's plenty of opportunity for dramatic irony. You know, we, the audience, know what's coming. Um, you know, and it's possible that they'll play it, you know, in such a way that um, they don't see that, you know. Um, but uh, but I, I, that's, I, I do think it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and that that covers all of the riddles that have been done so far. So now we're going to move on to some comments from the listeners. All right. And this first one is from Tom Hillman. He says, uh, After listening to Corey and Trish discuss, discussing the portrayal of Saruman and his final fall into evil in the latest supererogatory, it occurred to me that his fall could easily be tied to his first looking into the Palantir, as it is described in Appendix B under the date 3000. It reads, The shadow of Mordor lengthens. Saruman dares to use the Palantir of Orthanc, but becomes ensnared by Sauron, who has the Ithil Stone. He becomes a traitor to the council. Um... Returning to Isengard after the Battle of Dol Guldur, Saruman reflects on a job well done, thinking that now his own search for the ring will have fewer impediments, and that his role in driving off Sauron will allay any suspicious suspicions the members of the White Council may have of his own ambitions. He specifically recalls Galadriel's attempt to have Gandalf lead the council and Gandalf's smoke rings. As he wonders what tools and strategies he might employ to locate the ring for himself, he spies the Palantir. 
He dares to look into it to search for the ring, but instead finds Sauron now back in Mordor and in possession of the Ithil Stone. Probably for the first time since Minas Ithil fell during his long absence from Mordor. They struggle. Saruman loses as, and is enslaved. This would all be quite cinematic and tie The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies to the Fellowship of the Ring. So, um, so what do you think about that? <clears throat> do you think that, uh, that that's going to take place in The Hobbit? Don't, but doesn't doesn't it seem like Saruman is looking in the, to the Palantir kind of for the first time in the Lord of the Rings movies? Well, I don't... I mean, I think it's pretty clear that he has been looking into it already by the mm-hmm. time we meet him there. So the idea of him, him, you know, looking into the Palantir for the first time, pushing that back, you know, to, um, uh, to, to, um, to, you know, to, to earlier on would seems perfectly consistent um the um yeah one one thing that i would want to point out um first is a possible misinterpretation and i don't actually think based on his description here i don't actually think that tom is misunderstanding this, but it's a passage which I think could be misunderstood, and I want to make sure to to clear that up. That entrance, that entry um, under the year three thousand in the Tale of Years, um, specifically about, you know, about Saruman dares to use the Palantir of Orthanc, but becomes ensnared by Sauron, who has the Ithelstone. He becomes a traitor to the Council. Um, it's I, I could I could I could easily imagine people reading that and believing that that's when Saruman turns to evil, right? He becomes a traitor, you know, so basically he's like a good guy with good intentions, um, makes perhaps an unwise choice to look into the Palantir, but it's only when he's ensnared through the Palantir by Sauron that his mind is, is, is corrupted and he turns to evil. But it does not say, he does not say he turns to evil, it says he becomes a traitor to the council. Um, it's pretty clear, the evidence is pretty clear, that Saruman had already been turning to evil in his heart before that. In fact, there are even implications that his motivations for uh, Treebeard in the text implies that Saruman had probably already begun to go bad, um, way back when he first started living at Isengard. And there's an explicit reference uh, in the Tale of Years earlier on um, in the entry for 2851, so we're talking about 149 years uh, before he looks into the Palantir for the first time. Um, uh, we have the, the White Council meets. Gandalf urges an attack on Dol Guldur. Saruman overrules him. Saruman begins to search near the Gladden Fields. And there's a footnote to Saruman overrules him, Um which says, it afterwards became clear that Saruman had then begun to desire to possess the One Ring himself, and he hoped that it might reveal itself, seeking its master, if Sauron were let be for a time. Um, so it's, it's explicit. And, and remember in the Council of Elrond, when Gandalf says that he was lulled by the words of Saruman, about, you know, saying that the, that the ring had long ago rolled, been rolled down the river to the sea, um, Saruman already at the, so so he's been going bad. He's been seeking the One Ring for himself. He's been in his heart 
you know, a traitor to the cause of the council for, you know, centuries before he looks into the Palantir for the first time. Um, so when it says he becomes a traitor to the council, I, uh, Tolkien seems to mean that quite literally. He's never actually done anything to betray the council. When he is uh, when he's ensnared through the Palantir by Sauron, he reveals what the council is doing to Sauron and therefore becomes a traitor for the first time. Um, so, so uh, f- therefore, that doesn't mean, of course, that they couldn't depict you know, him being ensnared by, you know, sort of show him, you know, it's not to say they couldn't do it that way in the film, conceivably. Yeah. But, um, I, I, I don't, um, I wouldn't expect that. My biggest objection to Tom's sort of story here, which I quite like as a narrative, is that it, it, it's a lot of screen time. It's a lot of screen time for just Saruman in a film that's going to be pretty full of other things. Yeah. And it's hard for me to imagine yeah. them uh, going to that kind of detail. Yeah, spending a lot of time on that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Alright. So, And then the next comment we have is from B. Lovesy. I had an interesting thought come to mind while listening to one of the recent episodes of Riddles in the Dark. Professor Olson and the others often mention two possibilities for what the Nazgul are doing. One, scuba diving for the ring. That's right. Or two, setting up shop at Barador. That's right. Well, I would find it quite humorous to see the mighty Witch King of Angmar in scuba gear or with a carpenter's belt. Or a maid's apron, which would be even better. <laughs> yeah. The film seems to portray the breaking out of the Nazgul as a fairly recent event, just like the darkening of Greenwood the Great, another sign that Sauron is rising. What if the Nazgul were leading an orc army towards Minas Ithil, Minas Morgul, and capturing it as the first step in Sauron's master plan? The city is depicted in the Lord of the Rings movies as an evil place outside of Mordor, so it has to fall at some point, and if the Nazgul are just now waking up, Perhaps this is the, this is the time. I highly doubt that such a thing will be portrayed in this now five-hour-long movie to properly cover everything, but it would be very interesting. Personally, I think there'll be a dull guldor for the White Council to fight. Um, hmm, yeah. Well, my primary objection to this argument is that it's much less funny than the other options. That's that's my primary objection, <laughs> but uh, but he's right. We did not consider you know we we, we did not consider the capture of Minas Morgul, um, mm-hmm. and yes, of course you know uh, you know careful book readers are swiftly going to object. But wait a second, the capture of Minas Morgul happened centuries before this. Well, yeah, but come on now, um, you know. Well, uh, well, the like he said the. Um, Greenwood the Great has exactly. is a, a recent event. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. The way that um, <clears throat> um, the way that this stuff all comes together, you know, the way that the, you know the way that the, the the movies have mashed the the time frame. And of course, I've spent a lot of time teasing Peter Jackson for the way in which people can travel very long distances in very short periods of time. Um, you know, I've I, I, I've been doing that so often that that I've kind of distracted perhaps my my own attention away from 
the much more significant compression of the overall historical time frame that he's done here. And I can understand the choice to do that for dramatic purposes. Um, but, but, but for exactly that reason, Brandon's suggestion about uh, uh, Minas Morgul fits into that same kind of pattern. Now, he's certainly right. Um, the idea of we're going to add another battle scene into this into the film. It's going to be the Battle of Dol Guldur, yeah. followed by the Battle of Minas Morgul, followed by the Battle of, of Five Armies. Um, that seems absurd. But, you know, I kind of like the idea. So in addition to having them go um, to Barad-dûr and, like, flip the big switch like in you know frankenstein <laughs> uh uh yeah you know like early frankenstein films like huge switches right and huge metal switches you know to turn on the eye they could also like you know we could see them plugging in uh uh the, the you know the light system at minas morgul and like that like weird greenish light kind of <laughs> You know, blinks into existence like a yep. fluorescent light. That that could also happen. Um, mm-hmm. So even if we don't see a pitched battle at Minas Morgul, we could see them sweeping in, um, sweeping and in. you know, yep. some rangers of Athelion running in fear, and uh, and then you know they plug in the light system. So yeah, um, you know, it's possible. Yeah, kind of like what they did with with them coming into Bree. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, just it, it doesn't have to be a, a long scene, but. Uh, yeah, that I would. That would be good, and that would also be a, kind of a nice tie-in to, to the Lord of the Rings, so because it shows it shows that just because they've um, gotten rid of the dragon and the threat in the north, uh, for the time being, that the you know the the war is not won. Yeah. 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 Now, Kyle, of course, is pointing out sort of the potential synergy of these first two comments that uh, if Sauron gets the Palantir from Minas Ithil, um, you know, uh, uh, that would be, you know, it, it, could, it could possibly lead to a connection, you know, between mm-hmm. their arrival down there and or even, you know, like the 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 ring rates bringing the Palantir to Sauron. Again, my chief objection to this, as with all of these things it's just simply time you know it's um a lot it's a lot to try to do yes yeah that's true well peter jackson's just gonna have to shoot another movie that's between the hobbit and the lord of the rings (laughs) once again we just come back to the fact that you know it is uh it's it was it was a vain uh, you know thing for him to attempt covering the hobbit in only three films you know i mean it's just that's right that's right (laughs) it's hard it's tough i know okay and then sharon hoff Ask, could they possibly think to make the acquisition of the Arkenstone as a goal for Sauron? They have played up the power slash ruling influence of the Arkenstone, and since Sauron can't get a hold of his ring, maybe he thinks the Arkenstone could give him an edge in a comeback. He seemingly had a hand in sending the orcs and the other henchmen out to intercept Thorin in the first place. This would explain why he would be sending orcs to Erebor. 
But now that I think about it, if Sauron wanted the Arkenstone, he could have gotten it from Smaug, unless we were disposed to think that Sauron didn't want to match which, with the dragon. So, you know, that's a good question. Why doesn't Sauron go after the Arkenstone? What is stopping him from trying to get the Arkenstone? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess my my big um, problem here is just as with everything else with the Arkenstone, I don't know how it works. I don't know what it does. Um, I, uh, um, I, I, yeah, I, um, it, it, so until it seems, I, until I know yeah. that, I feel like I can't even really form an opinion yeah. as to who else it's, would want it or for what reason. Yeah. Why would you want it? It's, it's almost more like in the book, it was more like a crown jewel or something right. like that. Right. You know, it didn't really have any properties of its own. It's like but a in really the movies, big family heirloom. Exactly. In the movie, they talk about it, you know, giving, giving Thorne the right to, to rule almost. Right. As if yeah. it has, yeah. if it has more power of its own sake. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, um, now of course the question is, when Thranduil talks about the Arkenstone granting to Thorin the right to rule, the question is like, in what sense, of course, and to whom? If granting him the right to rule is a purely, like, uh, you know, intra-dwarf thing, you know, if it's something that only other dwarves are going to care about, that it has some kind of symbolic or even supernatural effect, which is just like a, a dwarf thing. Like, it's, it's like an in-house dwarf thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. Thorin's right as right to rule as king in Erebor, his reestablishment of the kingdom in Erebor won't be official in the eyes of the other dwarves unless he has the Arkenstone. If that's what Thranduil means, and his words could mean that, right? Like, I know you can't really reestablish the kingdom of Erebor if you don't have the Arkenstone. Um, then... If that's the point of the Arkenstone, then what on earth good would it do to anybody else? I mean, it's not like, you know, the dwarves of the Iron Hills are going to be all like, oh, Sauron has the Arkenstone, so Sauron is king under the mountain, hooray, let's all go, like, fo- you know, follow Sauron. Obviously, that's not going to happen, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so, that would, so the Arkenstone would not be a focal point other than the fact that it's very large and very shiny. wouldn't be a focal point for anybody else, any non-dwarves, because it would be it would be, apart from its purely material value, irrelevant to anybody mm-hmm. who isn't a dwarf. But if the, Arkenstone, although, if the if it does have other powers... Yeah, and Smaug seems to know all about the Arkenstone. I mean, yep. I don't know if he got that out of a captured dwarf or, or what, but um, he seems to know about it. He, he seems to know where it is, too. But it yeah. could be, you know, Sauron could just be not interested in Erebor either. Yes. Well, the one thing that, that, you know, Sharon's comment is making me remember and kind of wonder about a little bit more is um, the, that line, that, that, that really kind of puzzling thing that the captured orc said to Thranduil and Legolas um, about how, like, the, that that basically that they have been sent out that that apparently one of Sauron's objectives is to prevent Thorin from returning to the mountain mm. that they don't you know he wants to prevent Thorin's return 
And the question would be, why? I mean, I, the, uh, who cares? Why? Why does he care at all? Uh, I, I mean, like, in what? In for what reason? Would Sauron consider Thorin's return to Erebor a big deal? You might say, oh, well, the restoration of the kingdom of Erebor would be a big deal because it would totally change the, the strategic military situation in the northern part of Middle-earth. Well, yeah, but hang on, that's a lot of ifs, right? That's not about Thorin returning to the mountain. Like, are, what, what, is like Sauron going to be assuming that if, if, uh, if Thorin returns to the mountain, he'll automatically kill Smaug? I mean, Smaug is still there, for crying out loud. If Thorin returns to the mountain, there's still pretty small odds that he gets rid of Smaug. Yes. Um, so, you know, you'd think, uh, like, well, let's just have Smaug kill him when he shows up would be a pretty good backup plan uh, to sending out teams of orcs to try to, to, try to, to, try to stop him. So, uh, you know, not to mention he's got the whole army. So even, even if we say, okay, he's for some reason really fixated on preventing, um, on mm-hmm. preventing Thorin from returning to the mountain. So he's first going to send out, like, you know, assassin teams to try to kill him and prevent him from getting there. Then if he does get there, there's Smaug. And if Smaug fails, we're going to send this huge army under Azog marching up there just to mop up. Um, if that's the case, then, like, seriously, what is the crisis? What does Sauron believe? I mean, basically, this would mean that Sauron is being more proactive in preventing Thorin from returning to Erebor than he was in, in preventing Frodo from getting to Mount Doom with the Ring of Power, you know? So, that's right. like, why? And and if the Arkenstone has some kind of non-purely dwarf-relevant power, uh, it could possibly explain this, or if it... I, yeah, I don't know. And- you know, the other thing is, if you think about the Silmarils, which everybody wanted, and Morgoth, you know, Sauron's boss, what did the Silmarils do other than look very pretty and were very bright and shiny? I mean, they didn't really, no. they didn't really, they didn't do, really anything. do anything. No, no, exactly. And this is why, if not for, this is why the references to the power of the Arkenstone or the the you know the the reference to the divine right you know g- granting him the divine right to rule in the first film that's why we were all like uh, what the heck's going on there right and then in the second film when Thranduil says his piece about giving you the right to rule we were all like whoa uh, okay because yeah if it hadn't been for that if it hadn't been for the way they're building it up in the films um, a little bit in the first film much more so in the second film I would never even have suspected that I would have just expected it to be a, a really really beautiful big shiny jewel just like the Silmarils as you say um but it's apparently more than that. But how much more than that? And more than that in what sense? I don't know. I mean, Gabrielle says very sensibly, Gabrielle Wilson, that uh, you know, she says, I don't think, I don't think that even if Sauron had the Arkenstone, that you know, the 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 dwarves, you know, wouldn't wouldn't rally him. That is to 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 Thorin. It is a little hard to imagine Thorin standing in Erebor, you know, fighting the dragon and 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 besieged by orcs. Saying to his kinsmen, uh, "I, the heir of Durin, have returned to Erebor, and I call upon my kindred to help me." And they're like, Ed, "Excuse me, do you have the Arkenstone?" Uh, didn't think so. <laughs> Never mind. You're on your own, dude. You know, like it's it's a little hard to imagine them. Ha- I mean, we know that they wouldn't help at the beginning, right? But it's one thing to say, "We shall not join you on what appears to us to be a mad and pointless quest," and to say. You know, our kinsman and uh, and rightful lord, you know, has tr- has returned to Erebor and is in trouble. You know, we're going to ignore him. But I, I don't know. I mean, um, it, it, it's this is all of this stuff just seems like 
I have no idea, you know, because it all hinges upon what the Arkenstone really does. Um, and I really just don't know. And so not knowing that, it might be a symbol. Yeah. It might be, uh, it might have purely dwarf-related power or significance. Or it might have some kind of actual potency which would be useful to other people. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's almost like a crown, you know. I mean, right. people stealing the the actual crown, does that give someone the right to rule if they're wearing the, the crown? Right, right. Yeah. right. I, wonder if that, I wonder how much they'll explain of that, about the Arkenstone, if they'll address that anymore, if they'll just kind of leave it. Right, like the idea of the idea of uh, of of you know Bilbo claiming the throne because he's got the Arkenstone in his pocket, right? I mean, that's right. It, yeah, hey, I've got the Arkenstone. It's just kind of silly. Oh, to but, me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our final comment, actually, uh, from Adam. Listening to the Comic-Con trailer episode, I was surprised no one seemed to mention what to me seemed like some other quite likely reasons for the chariot. So he's talking about the the dwarf chariot that we see in the, in the trailer. Mm-hmm. The chariot seems to contain Dwala and Balin and at least one of the other young ones, possibly more. On the clip shown, the intent is also to get away from the mountain, not to it. Yes. They are being attacked. They are being attacked by wargs, in effect, creating a micro siege before the main one, preventing completely free movement out of the mountain. When you consider their pre-armor costumes, this therefore looks like an attempt to get some dwarves a message out of the mountain before the main siege begins. Yeah. This creates two likely scenarios for me. The first is that Feely, Keely, Oyen, Bofors escape from Lake Town will end up being seen by the wargs and then being shadowed on their journey there by them. This means that the chariot could be a rescue attempt by Balin Dwalin going out in an old chariot from the armory to rescue the returning dwarves from their warg pursuers. Secondly, perhaps a warg pack goblin scouts who after all were so close on their tail to lake town will follow the dwarves up to the mountain in some fashion perhaps not tailing the group of four in this instance the chariot from the old armory is being used to take the place of roach and get a message out of the mountain to diane down the old frozen riverbed bad news for roach (laughs) (laughs) either way the goats must be rounded up from the hillside yeah, when I saw when I saw that part of the trailer, I the first thing I thought was how did they get goats who were trained to pull a sled from, you know, to to pull the chariot? Where where did those goats from come, come from? Um but beside that, um you know, it's an awful long way to the Iron Mountain from the Lonely Mountain. So if they're going all that way, of course, on the other hand, we're talking about we're talking about Peter Jackson universe where things are much closer. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So, but you know, if they're going out to rescue, um, Feely and Keely and Owen and Bofer, they've got to know they're out there. So I suppose they could see them from the top of the mountain and maybe they're just, you know, going out for a quick rescue, but it seems like if they're that close, they would they wouldn't bother with the chariot. Yes, well, yeah. there are 
two reasons why I find both of these um, why I find both of these uh, explanations unsatisfying. Um, uh, one. Okay, no, there, there are not two reasons for each one. I'll come in again. There are two reasons why I find the first one unsatisfying. <laughs> that is that they're going out to rescue and or assist, you know, the Lake Town dwarves in their return. Um, and the main reasons for that are that we see what appears to be the four Lake Town dwarves returning to Erebor in two separate shots in that trailer. And there are only the four of them. It's not eight of them returning. It's just the four. And eight of them would have to be all coming back at once. We see what appears to be four dwarves, which looks suspiciously like the Erebor dwarves, climbing through Erebor themselves, searching, you know, like going to or searching for Thorin. And we see them entering the the gate as well. So so that's one reason. Those are the two reasons why I don't think um, they could be going out to help to bring them in. I also don't think that they're going out to warn Dan in lieu of Roach, not only because, please, as if they would demote Roach in such a fashion, but <laughs> my other reason, uh, perhaps less substantive for believing that, is that it, again, it doesn't make any sense. They wouldn't be um, marching out in armor. You know, again, in that great scene in the trailer with Thor on the one side and, and Bilbo on the other side, you know, all the dwarves are clearly preparing to march into battle and, in the, you know, the Battle of Five Armies uh, together. If, you know, Dwalin and Balin and, and, and the, you know, if they all go to, uh, you know, ride a chariot out to go find Dan and return on sheep, then um, they wouldn't be there riding out of the gate with Thorin. And I'd, I'd have to watch it again, but wasn't... At least I know we saw Feely and Keeley. Um, no, we saw and we saw Bofer. Yeah, no, we saw Bofer and Feely and Keeley because Bofer was still wearing his floppy hat instead of a helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to go look through it more carefully to see if we see any of those dwarves that were in the chariot um, in armor, you know, in the battle armor there at the end. Yes. Um, yeah. Because if we did, then. Um, uh, then, then, I mean, they because they're not, they're surely not going to ride a chariot out, talk to Dan, and then somehow get back. I mean, they'd have to ride into battle with Dan if that happened. And yes, it doesn't look like, I mean, I don't know, maybe, man, that might be what happens. Um, but I'd be a little so, but uh, but here's my my the weak point of my just like being a naysayer of both of those interpretations is that I have no, um, I have no further interpretation, like, I have no, uh, uh, I have no explanation of no alternative explanation for how it could happen. Um, could they just be uh, going out to battle? Um, in, uh... No, they can't be because they're not. In, it's not the 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 lighting isn't right and their armor isn't right. I mean. Yeah. I I am still you know I'm 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 just basically in a holding pattern awaiting further data before I spend too much time thinking about it because there are several things, right? We saw what appears to be attack, an attack by Bolg and presumably he does not go alone on Ravenhill, right? So we see Bilbo and the other dwarves up on Ravenhill and we see Bolg on Ravenhill. So we mm-hmm. see Bolg striving with the Ravenhill watchtower in the background. Um, 
when does that happen? Under what circumstances does that happen? Is it in the battle? I don't think so, based upon, again, their, their, what appears to be their lack of armor in, like, Kiwi's glamour shot with him whipping his hair around, you know, in, 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 in that one <laughs> moment in the trailer. Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's... Um, uh, so we've got an encounter with Bolg on Ravenhill. We've got the chariot ride down the hill. I have no idea where those two events fall in the plot sequence of this story, you know, and how they fit into the events leading up to the Battle of Five Armies, or if they could be a part in some sense of the Battle of Five Armies. I don't know. Uh, it's so I, and I feel like I don't have a good explanation for those things. I certainly agree that it seems separate. I don't think that that's part of the Battle of Five Armies battle sequence. Um, yeah. But I don't know what else it would be. One other thing. Okay, okay, here's one theory, but it's a completely unfounded theory. Well, not totally. It's founded on the books. Remember, there is a moment in the books after mm-hmm. the siege begins or is about to begin when the dwarves send out a sortie to get their stores from the shores of the lake. Remember, they didn't bring everything with them up to the mountain. They left a supply of goods down by yes. the, so that they could withstand the siege. Maybe that's what the chariot thing is about is they're, they're going out, in, and that's why they have the chariot, which also is like a big wagon, to haul the goods back so they, they need food because they didn't bring much food with them into the mountain. So they need to withstand the siege. Hey, I like this theory. Um, so, so, <laughs> so Jackson is going to keep that scene where they send uh, you know, a party of the dwarves out to bring back food to prepare for the siege. But, of course, since it's the Jackson movie, we can't just do that. You know, I mean, it, it's kind of uneventful in the published Hobbit, right? Where they they like go out and then they bring it back and they find they round up some of their ponies, so they're rounding up sheep instead. You see, um, and uh, and then and they and they bring they bring the, the the supplies back, so they're able to to last the siege for for a little while. Since it's a Jackson movie, we'd add an action sequence into that, right? And there would be like yeah. some of Bolg's orcs and wargs getting in the way and and patrolling around and. Um, so I could totally see this. This works for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, it seems like it's, it seems like a little superfluous though. I mean, yeah, you know, but this is my problem with it. Look at the, look at the trailer. I mean, like there are all these like, uh, related sequences, which I don't get. I'm looking, I'm looking through a little, um, a slideshow from the trailer and I don't see any of those particular dwarves in armor in mm. any of the shots. Of course, that, does, that doesn't that prove doesn't anything. That doesn't prove There's nothing. I, um, I'm I looking refuse at the, to... I'm looking at the swore chariot, and... Uh, yeah, it looks like they're coming up on Dale in the... You can kind of see... I think it's Dale in the background. The ruins of Dale. Well, anyway, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for it either. Maybe in, in subsequent trailers, uh, there'll be a little more of an explanation, but, but like you said, it's, it's, it's an, an action sequence for the sake of having a cool action sequence, right? you know, most likely, and hopefully it'll move the plot forward a little bit too. 
So, but I think I'm I think I'm going to go on a limb, and and my guess would be they are going out to um, to try to get word out to to Diane. Right. So I'm I'm going to in the evident in the lack of any evidence for anything else plausible. I think that's what, that's what I'm going to say. So. But where they got the goats, that's what I want to know. That's my burning question. <laughs> where, yeah. where did the goats come from? I mean, you can't just round up a bunch of wild goats and have them pull in a chariot. But anyway. Yeah, if, so. uh, if we end up replacing ravens with goats, I'm going to be pretty upset. <laughs> You know, if like if 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 we if we have a scene instead of having the scene with Roach and Balin, we get a scene with Balin and a goat. You know, where Balin is like, ah, these goats were tamed to the hand of my fathers. Like they surely will remember our old our old you know connection. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be I'm gonna be pretty. You're gonna be very upset. Pretty ticked. Well, and that brings us to our first conundrum. Um, and this is this is tied into the show. Uh. 11 from season three. Right. Uh, will Roach show up in the flesh or in the feathers, as it were? And I am going to say no. I am going to say I don't think we're going to see Roach. Heresy. Uh, you know, it's not up to me. If I was directing the movie, Roach would definitely be in there. But I, I just don't think they're going to... I just don't think they're going to... Um, well, well. First of all, they've they've cut out the thrush, right? I mean, they've already cut there. out one bird roll. <laughs> well, yeah, there. he was knocking, but he doesn't he doesn't fly into no. um, he doesn't fly into um, Lake Town and tell Bard about the the chink in the in the armor of the dragon. So they've already cut out one bird roll. So I'm thinking they're going to do away with uh, with the other bird roll as well. So. I know it's too bad. It's too bad, but but yeah, I'm thinking instead of Roach, they send the dwarves out in their in their goat chariot. I don't buy more it. action. I don't <laughs> buy it. We will certainly see Roach in the flesh. The okay. answer is clearly yes. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> there can be no further discussion on this point. Can, so we shouldn't even. <laughs> We shouldn't even do the poll on this one because there can be no further discussion. No, we can't. Uh, you know, uh, this. <laughs> people can be wrong if they want to, right? Well, exactly, exactly. You know, you can't stop people from being wrong about this kind of thing. But uh, yeah, we can let people vote. Okay. You know. All right. <laughs> so I've put up the poll here. So. Um, so Corey's argument is just that it has to be that way. It has my to be that way. That's my that... argument. Yes. You've done full <laughs> justice to my argument. It has to be that there's like a manifest destiny for Roach in film three. They couldn't possibly yes. cut out the best character in the whole like last quarter of the book. <laughs> uh, not going to happen. Uh... Yep. Oh, people! Yeah, and and it seems like people are going to agree with you. Yeah, I think um, I think it, it would be nice that they had Rock, but I think they're going to replace him with with uh, with goats. Yep, with goats, goats yeah. barreling down a frozen river, trying to get away from wargs and pulling a goat chariot. That is no wargs. consolation. <laughs> 
goats. Goats are not good enough. Goats are not good enough. Okay. No. I will not be satisfied right. with goats. So here we can <laughs> close the poll. We have a, a, a nice even two-thirds, one-third, two-thirds of you believe, uh, you know, share my touching faith uh, in the presence of Roach, and one-third of you uh, are... Doubters to the cause. Yeah, that's right. Doubters. Kristen, Kristen here trying to respond uh, to to me with like you know, cold hard, uh, you know, implacable logic. Kristen Hauk says, "I'm sorry, I can't see Jackson spending screen time on non-combat animals." Well, to which my response is, <laughs> I think that you are doubly underestimating Roach then. But, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chuck asks, if a raven shows up in a non-speaking role, does that count as yes? If a raven just, like, flies across the screen or something, no. Like, I'll be... I think, rather than being placated by that, I'll be antagonized by that. It's like, they will be taunting me with Roach, and yet depriving me of his character. If Roach is there in a non-speaking role... Okay, like they, but they have to identify him. You know, they have to be like, ah, this yeah. is one of the ravens of like my people, and and um, and and you know, the, and they should, uh, uh, you know, e- even if like Balin can understand him, like Radagast can understand, you know, the birds that poop on his face, then okay, like <laughs> that would be all right. I would be a little placated by that. I I still would find it insufficiently uh, awesome. It would be it would be not nearly as good as it could be. But that would still count as Roach being there. But if all we get is like, you know, Easter egg ravens, you know, flying through at one point, I would say no. So now Brian yeah. Biggs does point out that we got Bill the Pony, you know, so uh, it's not like there's yeah. no precedent for non-combat animals. Yeah, you could. Yeah. But Bill the Pony uh, played a much larger and more emotional role in the film. <laughs> Bigger than Roach, you know. Yeah, I would have to say a little. Bill the Pony played on our heartstrings a little more than Roach did. Although it would be very touching to have Roach and Balin. um, Yeah, Bill the Pony is not a king's counselor, you know. Like it's, (laughs) you know, I love Bill the Pony too, but you know, Bill the Pony never said to you know to to a monarch, "I shall not say whether this." Whether this council be ba- be bad or good, I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, do we have any other talking animals in the Hobbit? Uh, no. I mean, not okay. left. We've already yeah. we've already passed by the. I mean, and it's pretty clear by now that you know th- that just having animals speaking, you know, like having Narnia style English speaking animals. Um, you know, that he's not going that direction. Yeah. However, Roach is different. Ravens do <laughs> talk. I would be fine if all, if Roach doesn't, he doesn't have to get all of his lines from the book, but he, he could yeah. still speak, even if he speaks, you know, like a parrot. <laughs> I'd be fine. I would, it's, it wouldn't be optimal, but I'd be okay. Uh, 
Yeah, maybe it should be Roach the parrot. No, 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 no. He wouldn't have to be a parrot. That would be absurd. <laughs> no, no, no. You know that he, the, he's because ravens can talk. Like real live ravens can talk. Can be trained to they speak. Can. Like parrots can be trained. That's to speak. true. That's so, true. like I said, even if he just speaks in that way, um, yeah. Then uh, well, yeah. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. So, we'll. Uh, We'll have to we'll have to take bets before going in the theater, and and at that time, whoever wins is going to have to jump up and say yes. Exactly, or, I'll be I'll be yeah. excited. Now uh, right. let's see. <laughs> Brian okay. Brian adds, if we don't get Roak, I'll still be less disappointed than when we didn't get the fox in the Fellowship. You know, I have to say, Brian, if you were really oh, holding God. out for the thinking fox, uh, like. You went into that film with some pretty darn unrealistic expectations, I have to tell you. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah. I was disappointed. I, I'm always disappointed at stuff like that. But, you know, and we didn't get the, um, in, in Bayorn's house, we didn't get the animals there. Yep. Either. We did not get, yeah. I mean, we, there were animals, we but yeah, there. we didn't get the, we didn't they get the, serving the, them dog, dinner. the serving dogs. Yeah. And the other, the, uh, yeah. the, the, the bestial wait staff didn't show up. Exactly. So. Yeah. No. I'm thinking no. But anyway. Okay. To move on to the next uh, conundrum. All right. Uh, for episode 12, will Tariel die with Keeley? Mm-hmm. I.e. the same engagement, same place, same time. And I am thinking yes, because that would be very dramatic. I mean, that yep. would be, that would fit their story arc. Yep. So. Yep, agreed. And what's more, my my suggestion, indeed, I shall even say my hope, is that they not only die together, but that their death is meaningful. Um, yes. What I liked, you know, the, the reason that I was prepared to defend the Toriel-Kiwi relationship, which I totally, it's really easy to laugh it off as just like an absurd Hollywood edition, you know, to be like, let's add a love story because there's no love story in The Hobbit. So let's add a love story. Um, and I totally get that. And, and, and the idea of an elf dwarf love story has even more comic value on the surface, you know? So, so again, I can totally, I can totally understand people's, you know, initial reaction to sort of shrug it off. But what I like about it, if you, if you can sort of repress your giggles briefly and and kind of think it through, the role that it plays in the film is a really good one um, in in sort of showing people being willing to step outside the boundaries of prejudice, which are clearly getting in the way of elf-dwarf relations uh, in that film. And again, in that way, they're parallel to the Baron Luthien relationship, even though it seems silly and it brings on a second fit of giggles to even utter that sentence, you know, that Toriel and, and, and Kiwi are kind of like Baron and Luthien in that way. Thematically, they have some things in common there. Again, not mm-hmm. identical in any sense. I'm not equating the two. Um, but, but, but there are some, there are some thematic parallels between them. So if, um, if their death I, I, I believe that they will die together and I believe that their death will be sort of like helpful in the, you know, elves and dwarves getting along together yeah. movement. Well, and it could be that Legolas um, witnesses that. Yes. And that could be, um, well, you know, at the beginning of The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, he's still pretty anti-dwarf. But that yes. could be sort of the start of his 
different feeling about dwarves. And, and also the Tariel-Keeley thing parallels a little bit the Gimli-Galadriel. Um, I mean, it's not a romance, but uh, Gimli uh, does love her. So, yeah. you know, that's yeah. there it's not completely unprecedented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the kind of reverence and, and I mean and again people people it's it, it's easy to sort of make to just sort of make jokes about that too. But um don't forget the I mean, Gimli's love for Goadriel, I mean, yes, like don't get me wrong, Goadriel and Gimli's relationship is a completely platonic relationship. I'm not trying to suggest anything to the contrary of that. But um, remember the scene when Gimli and uh, and uh, and and Aemir are talking uh, in the Return of the King, and they have what is instantly recognizable to anybody who has read Arthurian literature as a classic, like Sir Thomas Mowry debate about whose lady is fairest. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're each willing to do battle on uh, in in defense of the proposition that, you know, the lady that they admire most, you know, that their ladies are the most fair. Um, and, you know, and of course, Aemir is fighting for Arwen, uh, willing to fight for Arwen, and Gimli is fighting for Galadriel. Now, neither one of those, of course, is an actual romantic sexual relationship, right? Aemir is not having an affair with Arwen, and Gimli is not having an affair with Galadriel. Um, but, but that is, like, we are, that scene provides a kind of context. Like, they are both offering themselves as champions to defend the honor of their ladies. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, I mean, in fact, I've always thought that in that scene, um, uh, Tolkien is kind of playing on that tradition. The idea that Aemir might fall in love with Arwen and there mm. be some kind of like tragic love triangle. It's, it's Lancelot and Guinevere. All, I mean, it's like a brief, n- like n- near capitulation of the Arthurian situation. Right. Um, Except it turns out well, right? You know, he's not <laughs> Lancelot. Amir isn't Lancelot, and and you know, and it turns out fine. But there is that like brief moment where it's like, whoa, that was kind of interesting, right? Um, anyhow, I so so yes, yes, yeah. You know, that 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 kind of that kind of you know, there's... and it's interesting. They're both. They're both elven women that they're talking yes, about. Exactly. So exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't really know how it's going to work out with Legolas. I could see it going either way. I could see Legolas ending with kind of grudging respect, but still being like embittered. Or basically, I could see them not even focusing too much on the continuity. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, I could see them. I could see them kind of ditching. Like you know, I would not be shocked to see Legolas end up at the end of the third Hobbit film, having a more or less, you know, pro-dwarf attitude, you know, have, have his character arc end yeah. up at having a change of heart towards the dwarves, despite the fact that that would be inconsistent with the, be- with the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, I, I, I could see them simply yeah. diverging from, because it's a pretty minor fact. Um, yeah. And the, yeah. the larger fact that it would seem to set up or anticipate the future friendship between him and Gimli um, might mm-hmm. overshadow uh, the fact it, that the minor, yeah, yeah, the minor fact that he happens to be anti-dwarf still at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know, uh, but uh, 
but yes, I mean, like I, I could easily imagine like Kiwi and Legolas having uh, having an exchange, like while Kiwi is dying on the battlefield. Um, you know, maybe Toriel dies first, or you know, anyway. I mean, but but yeah, but however they do it, I do think they are going to die together. Maybe uh, Legolas inadvertently kills Kiwi, and Toriel throws herself on, or I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. There's all sorts of melodramatic things that <laughs> hopefully won't happen. Hopefully won't happen. Yeah, yeah. Legolas is like, "Oops, missed." I oh shoot, I was oh, totally I aiming for that orc Toriel. over there and just yeah. accidentally killed your little boyfriend. Oh man, I really regret that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we have another uh, two-thirds, one-third split. Uh, two-thirds people say yes, one-third say no. That's a little higher on the nose than I expected. I got some, uh, some naysayers there. So, okay, the, so the next conundrum is, will the Arkenstone be buried with Thorin? And, uh, and, and the book answer, the Arkenstone, is the Arkenstone buried with Thorin in the book? I can't remember yes. now. Yes. Um, Yes, he has the Arkenstones. The Arkenstone is laid on his breast, and that's why Dan yeah. says, "Well, you know, he has the Arkenstone now, so we will honor, you know, his agreement." Um. So, what do you think about that? My initial thought on this was was no, that you know, given the greatly increased significance that they have given to the Arkenstone. Um, that it would not be able to just be... Because, again, in the book, it was just a family heirloom, right? So, mm-hmm. like, you could bury the family yep. heirloom, heirloom so with not? Thorin. Yeah. Um, but if it's now got some kind of, you know, larger significance, um, you might not be able to. I mean, if it's actually... If it's like its power is necessary to help defend Erebor in some sense or in some way, then it'd be pretty dumb to bury it. Um <clears throat> Kim yeah. makes an excellent well, point. Well, and Kim says, yeah. yeah, my thought is that it depends on if Feely or Keeley live. So if one of those live and it's an heirloom of the House of Doran, then they wouldn't bury it. Yeah, I like that. So, I like the idea. So if you're holding true to your earlier answer. <laughs> Shoot. Then, yes. Then yes. the logic might be. But see, the reason I think they're going to bury the Arkenstone with Thorin is... Um, because sorry it could be oh. sorry apologize go ahead like a little bit <laughs> yep sorry go ahead the um the uh arkenstone um they could blame some of the some of the gold sickness or the dragon sickness on the arkenstone right and that would be why they would bury it. That would right. be why they want to get rid of it. Right. Yeah. If it really is a corruptive influence, they could just be like, you know, it, it could be a part of establishing a new, you know, era. Yeah. Again, yeah, it's, I mean, it's so much of it depends upon, um, yeah. so much of it depends upon, stone. yeah, what, what, what it means, you know, what, what it's, what its power is or what its significance is. Um, I do, because see, I'm dubious of the idea that it is connected to the corruption. Um, We have primarily Smaug's testimony on that fact. 
The only other thing, the only objective thing which seems to me to suggest the fact that the Arkenstone has a corruptive influence is the kind of addict-like behavior that Thror was showing. You know, how he ran to get the Arkenstone when, um, when the dragon attacked and he was looking all uh, not entirely rational as he did that. Um, mm-hmm. that's, uh, uh, that was, that, that's my only sort of wondering about, um, uh, about whether or not yeah. the Arkansas might actually have a negative impact. But, um, yeah, I think, um, I think we'll, hmm, I'm going to go with No. No, they're not going to bury okay. the Arkenstone with Thorin. I think they'll bury Orchrist with him, but not, but not the Arkenstone. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of, I'm going a little more with my gut feeling mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. they will bury the Arkenstone. But like you say, it, it just all depends on this mystical power of the Arkenstone that yeah. we don't have any clear exactly. idea. Exactly. Of. So. So, and it looks like. Oh, it looks like for once the audience is going to agree with me. Yeah, so, so. Few people, a couple of people haven't voted here. <laughs> couple, yeah, a couple of people haven't voted. Um, so you know, yeah. and I think even if Feely or Keeley live, it might be that they don't want the Arkenstone. It might be that they um, they feel like it's tied in so closely with Thorin, right? Um, because they're not direct descendants of Thorin. You know, they are his sister's children. Right. So it's, they may want just to let that lie. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's see. All right, so we have. Okay, next is, now we're moving towards towards the end here. So we've got the post-battle. This is the conundrum associated with the episode we just recorded. Uh, the return journey episode. Mm-hmm. Will we see Bilbo at Rivendell in movie three on his way home? Or will they skip that scene and skip Rivendell? I think we're going to see it because I think that um, there's going to be some discussions with Elrond as far as, oh, you know, we've killed, Smaug is killed, but, you know, here's reality. We still have all this other stuff going on. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, I, I think, think I think yes. Do. I mean, I do believe they're going to be they're going to be pressed for time, you know, in the in the closing sequence. Um, they're going to need to do the return journey. They're they're going to they're going to want to emphasize what happens with Bilbo's character. But uh, I can't imagine they never we never even glimpse Rivendell on the way home. Yeah, because in you know in the book, uh, to bring up the book again, that pesky book, um, <laughs> you know that's the main part of his journey home. He stops at Bay. He stops at Bayern's house. Yeah, and then he stops in Rivendell. 
Right. So those are the two main things that we see. Exactly. And what's more, the significance, I mean, there are several things that happen in Rivendell on the way home, including, most importantly, the elves singing two more songs. But um, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but but the other thing is that we get the reveal there of what Gandalf was up to when Bilbo is overhearing Gandalf's conversation. Not like he's snooping, but you know he's that's he's, right. he's he's overhearing Gandalf's conversation with Elrond about the necromancer. Um, now I think Elrond is go- you know I I expect I think I already voted that Elrond is going to show up at Dal Guldur, so it's not like he's going to need to be informed. Um, but. Um, but I kind of suspect that Rivendell is going to play that role. We'll talk about this a little bit in the next uh, regular episode, I think. Um, but mm-hmm. my suspicion is that Rivendell, there need, there's going to need to be a moment where there's like a conversation between Gandalf and Bilbo about the ring. Um, and I'm kind of thinking Rivendell might be it. But anyway, I, so I, yes. I, 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 I do think we're going to see Rivendell. I do think it's going to make the theatrical cut. Now, okay, I'm going to put an impromptu conundrum in okay. here. Do you think the elves are going to sing in Rivendell? Like actually sing Tra-la-la-lolly? Yeah. Uh, Maybe not Tra-la-la-lolly, yeah. but something. Uh, what I can't remember what it what it is they sing on the way home. Did they sing Tra-la-la-lolly again? Or yes, that we get a we get a we get a, you get a, a reprise of, of Tra-la-la-lolly. Yeah. Uh, at the end, and then we get the song that they sing under his window. Um, yes, when he's that, trying that wakes to sleep. Him up. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe we'll get that one. The uh, "Sing All Ye Joyful, Now Sing All Together" poem. Um, uh, you know, the one which is again obviously a joke, like "Sing we now softly in dreams, let us weave him, wind him mm-hmm. in slumber, and there let us leave him." And they're waking him up by singing instead of yes. sending him off to sleep. Um, <laughs> You know, and and he, you know, jokes with them, you know, by saying, uh, you know, your lullaby would waken a drunken goblin. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Anyhow, so um, uh, um, I'll be a little surprised if they go out of their way to film that scene. um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, maybe it'll maybe it won't be any of those songs, but something more like what Pip what Pippin sang. I'm still hoping so, for music. So I was in the trailer. Yeah. yeah. We got some, a little bit of music in Rivendell, you know, on the way there. Yep. No trolley lollies of any kind, really. But, uh, but we got a little bit of music on the way there. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not without hope that we'll get a little bit of music, uh, you know, on the way back. But again, we have a pretty even two thirds, one third split. Two thirds mm-hmm. say yes. That we believe that we will get Rivendell. And one-third say no. Okay. All right. So our very last conundrum, and this is for the episode that hasn't yet been recorded. That's right. I believe you're recording it this Friday. Uh, This Friday? Next Friday. Next Friday. Next Friday. Okay. Uh, Will we see the auction at Bag End in the theater version um, of the movie? Um, and the emphasis, oh, as, a, of course, as, a, as is opposed in the to in the extended version, that's yeah, right. that's right. Yeah, um, I am going to say no because I don't think they're going to have time to do that. Absolutely. And I think that I think that they're going to that would take away a bit from Bilbo's character arc too. I mean, it would be a funny moment, but I really don't think they're going to do that. So, I fully expect it. You fully expect they're going to do it? Absolutely. 
Do you? Absolutely. Okay. In fact, I am really, really, really hoping <clears throat> for a handwritten Burroughs, Burroughs, and Grub sign <laughs> uh, announcing the firm that is doing the auction. I, I uh, yes. Maybe Roek will do the auction. <laughs> Now you're just making fun of me. No, no. Oh, well, that's true. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think the auction's going to happen. You know, if they cannot do the scouring of the Shire, they cannot do the auction. But see, 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 it's a false parallel. The scouring I of the know, Shire. I know. My lot. There's, there's no logic time. involved. You've got to build the whole thing. You know, they couldn't have done the scouring of the Shire in under. What fifteen minutes minimum? I mean, even if you did a small version of it, and oh, and... I'm just still feeling ripped off about that. So I know, I'm I know, I'm but uh, <laughs> but 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 the auction could be done really easily. Like they don't, they could yeah. spend forty five seconds on the auction. You know, like even if we yeah. just got um, Bilbo the the coming over the rise, and like we, the you know the 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 camera shows us a scene of you know hobbits like walking away with bilbo's you know pairs of hobbits walking away with bilbo's furniture carried between them and a big burrows burrows and grub sign and you know saying you know, auction today you know selling off the effects of the late bilbo baggins and then just like we turn and we get a classic martin freeman facial expression you know mm-hmm. as like bilbo is looking at this happening and then we just cut to like him in 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 bag end later on you know like even if that's all we get they could do that they could do that in under 30 seconds so yeah i think it's gonna happen yeah okay. now i i agree as far as the impact on on bilbo's character arc i need to think about how it will fit into into bilbo's character arc a little bit more but that's that's going to be the main focus of conversation uh in the next episode next friday yeah um yeah where we'll, we'll be talking about really where how the how the the film is really going to be bringing bilbo home um in the in the sense of his of of his character trajectory in that way yeah yeah well and it looks like once again the audience and in fact it is a landslide absolute uh, landslide Look, for almost. the auction exactly. it's not that i'm against the auction i just don't i just don't think they're going to do it but you're, you're just um, you're just kind of being a killjoy in this episode. That's all. No Roach, oh, no my auction, goodness, no fun of any kind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. I you know. I, well, I think I think goats pulling a chariot full of dwarves is pretty fun. You know, that's well, fun. It's kind of fun. It's maybe not the same kind of fun. Except but... I bet you, if that hadn't been in the trailer, and we'd been like, do you think there's going to be a chariot uh, full of dwarves being pulled by goats in this film? You'd be like, <laughs> no, nah, they're not going to do that. <laughs> true, true. So. But then again, it's one of those things that I don't know, you know, I mean, you can chalk that up. It's not quite so high up as bunny sled on the list of things if you'd asked me six months before it happened if they were going to do that i would say oh i can't imagine they'd do something like that so you know know what you know what would be um you know maybe they'll do the auction but maybe they'll just if we just get to see lobelia that would be great yeah maybe lobelia can have moved in 
to bag in. Yeah, exactly. See, I get think of think of how this could happen. You know, I could, we get the shots of people carrying furniture. We get uh, we get Bilbo or Lobelia hears Bilbo come around the surface, and we see her immediately like put her hand behind her back, right? You know, with a case of his silver spoons uh, in it, you know, which the audience can see, but he can't. Um, I mean, you know, just the opportunity there and, and it was, it would, it could be so efficient. You know, we don't have to, we don't have to get a five minute scene of people making bids on stuff in the auction. You know, we just need, we just need a, a tableau, need a, shot. a tableau yeah. of the auction happening and then a Martin Freeman's facial expression and we're good. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe in the extended edition. So. No way, man. Theatrical edition all the way. <laughs> Okay. The extended edition will feature, you know, like a like a you know a wrestling match as Bilbo goes after Lobelia trying to recover his spoons. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be that'd yeah. be good. Yeah. All right. Well, it seems that we have come to the end of our own little journey here on the super erogatories. That's right. That's um, right. It's been really fun. You know, we've all uh, all through. Um, you know, we've been really appreciating the comments that people send in. I'm always interested to hear what people have to say. You guys often think of things that we don't and, and ask really good questions and raise really, really good concepts. So really grateful for all the participation people have had. Um, I want to remind you that we still have our discussion forums that are up that you can access through the Riddles in the Dark page on MythGuard.org. Um, so if you uh, if you go there... Um, you can, you can still participate in that. Those discussions can be ongoing. So, um, uh, so, you know, I, I would encourage you yeah. to take, uh, other, you know, the fact that we're, this is our last supererogatory, um, uh, episode doesn't mean that you should stop making comments. You know, we, we will still, we will still be very interested, uh, in hearing those and seeing discussion continue. So, um, so yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So thanks very much, everybody. And, and our next Riddles in the Dark episode uh, will happen on next Friday. Yeah, no, that, this is true. Sorry, I was just pausing for a second because I was doubting whether I was remembering correctly. But no, 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 that's true. Next Friday, uh, the 22nd of August is the plan for the next episode. So um, who knows? Something might happen between now and then, but that's at least currently the plan. <laughs> so thanks for listening, okay. and Godspeed. <laughs>